I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sunanta Walker here, and I'm so excited. I've got a kindred spirit here on our podcast. Katie Jazz Gray Sadler is with us. Good morning, Jazz. How are you? Good morning, Kristen. Thank you for having me. Of course, of course. Another powerful woman doing advocacy. Yes. Yes, and, and kudos to you, too. Oh, well, thank you. There's so much that you've done from advocacy around bullying, around autism. You've been a part of um, creating legislation that is around advocacy work. Um, you've got this organization, 50 Shades of Purple Against Bullying. I mean, it's a long list. And radio and broadcasting. So I, when I saw, you know, everything that you do, I thought, oh my gosh, I, we don't have an hour is not enough time. So I'm glad that you'll come back on again, but please tell our listeners, you know, from your own voice about you. Well, you know, Kristen, sometimes when I look back on the things that I've done and let's say over the past 40 years, and I guess I'm kind of dating myself when I think about that And I look at the spectrum of things that I've done here with regards to advocacy and activism. I see that all roads lead to the same thing. All the roads that I've taken, even from my childhood, they led to human rights. Everything Mm -hmm. that I've touched, every initiative I've gotten involved in. And I remember when my oldest son was very young and I read about Megan Kanka. And, and a lot of people know about Megan's Law, which requires now uh, sex offenders to register. Mm-hmm. And I remember reading about that, and I said, oh, my goodness, what if that was my child? Because right. my son at the time was the same age, and I knew I needed to do something. I needed to halt the presses stop everything that I thought I was doing was right and reach out to that mother because I connected with the mother and what she could possibly be feeling for the loss of her daughter. And I actually took a chance, and this is before Google, this is before smartphones and all of this, and I actually looked her up in the telephone directory back then. Remember the white pages? (laughs) I I looked her up and 
I actually found Maureen Kinka listed in the telephone directory who happened to live a few towns away from me in New Jersey. And I reached out to her and I said something to her that must have touched her in a huge way. I said, I share your pain. Mm. What can I do? I don't care if it's making phone calls. I don't care if it's sitting with you, just listening. Please allow me in. And whatever those words were that resonated with her, she did. And we began to lobby and campaign for what is now known as Megan's Law. And I think back, yeah, I think back on that and I said, wow, it does take a village. And it was incredibly grassroots, going door to door, gathering petition signatures. And I really didn't have a plan. I just wanted to reach out to another parent who was grieving. And you know, when I say all roads continue to lead the same way, it has been the same story time and time again, driven by the same passion and everything that I've done from voters' rights to laws to protect our children from sex offenders and predators to bullying prevention and anti-violence and also to protections for individuals who have intellectual disabilities and physical disabilities. All those things lead to the same direction. So that's who I am. That's (laughs) who I am. Yeah. An advocate at heart. Yes. Yes. An advocate at heart, but not in the political sense, not in the legislative sense of the word, not in the way that I think like, well, there's going to be a lot of red tape out there and people are going to say no. What I made my mind up to do is to say all the naysayers, all the no's will be my fuel. They won't put out my fire. That, that would fuel my fire. And once I convinced myself of that, Christian, I knew that I would be able to keep going. See, because when you look like me, <laughs> and most times, and yes, I'm a woman of color, and I don't come from wealth or anything like that. But something I knew I had even from when I was a child, I said, well, you've got a voice and you're not afraid to use it. And some of that confidence has worked in my favor. Some of it, maybe not. But when I look back and I say, wow, look at the things that you've done. And I rarely do that. But thank you for having me to pause now and kind of look back at it. Because you said, <laughs> well, uh, I want to see your, you know, share your bio. My bio is really embarrassing for me to read. <laughs> because I go like, oh, my goodness, how could you possibly have done all that in, in a few decades? <laughs> right. I know. You know but it's nice to sit and not, you know, and I know it's not about ego. It's it's just like you do go back and you look at all of those things. I think when we are, you know, advocates by nature and we're out there and we just, you know, I don't care if I have to pick up trash or put together a pamphlet or give a speech. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's like the work and making it happen is important. And you forget to look up sometimes and look back at all the things that you've been able to help be a part of accomplish. And it is nice to sit back and take stock and breathe into, yeah, good. I've made, (laughs) I've tried at least and have succeeded off more often than not at making an impact in a lot of different places, you know? Well, you know, I don't have a story that is all beds of roses. I really don't. It hasn't always been the rainbow, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I did have a corporate career 
that took me far away from parenting, far away from being a spouse. And during those times, we get so caught up in chasing that particular dream. And there's nothing wrong with chasing career aspirations and wanting to break the glass ceiling and all of those particular things. And I think when I look back and say, you know, people will say, oh, she broke the glass ceiling. She's worked in London. She's worked on Wall Street. She's done these things. But the consequence for me, there was a lot of sacrifices. Yeah. Being uh, the parent of three children, all adults now, there was times when I wasn't there. I actually did not see my daughter, who is 24 years old, 28 years old, I'm sorry. I didn't see her take her first step. Right. The the caregiver did. And she's 28 now, and it still breaks my heart. I was away on business travel. Yeah, I've had that too. I get it. I totally get it. I, I remember my son saying to me, when he was older, mom, I saw the back of your laptop more than I saw your face. <laughs> I was like, Absolutely. Ooh, Absolutely. I get it. But you know, I was yeah. the family breadwinner many times and, and that's not an excuse, but that's what was reality. Even still though, I could have shut that lid and I, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> but you know, in all honesty, and I, I will say this and not to give an excuse for uh, corporate women, we don't get the supports and the resources that no, we need. We My colleagues were all men. I've, I, I honestly have never worked with alongside of a female executive. All my colleagues were men. Yet, they had access to the resources because they had spouses that happened to be women who may have uh, been the domestic engineer in the family. Right. So they were helping rear the children. And they can obviously FaceTime, oh, look at little Johnny, he's walking. And the, the male executives say, oh, yeah, I was part of that experience. Well, I didn't have that. Right. I was married to a laborer, you know, no, a lot of a very honorable man who had served this country in two active duties, uh, Desert Storm and post 9-11. So I was like very enamored by him. He, he was my hero. Yeah. But he was away a, a lot as well. So he wasn't like Mr. Mom per se. Right. So, you know, so those experiences that he and I could have possibly shared uh, with our children, we missed out on. Mm. So those are huge sacrifices. And, and yeah, I was, you know, maybe the higher income earner, but at what price? Right. You know, and I will say this in, in thinking about my advocacy around intellectual disabilities and my uh, advocacy around bullying prevention, that was triggered because of something uh, around my executive career. I actually uh, worked in New York and was scheduled to be in the World Trade Center on 9-11. And had I been in that building, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation today. Right. And I lost many colleagues and many good friends. But the trauma associated with that, the impact on my family was beyond your imagination, Kristen. My young son at that particular time, he was only uh, six years old. And there was such a blackout period in terms of communication after uh, 9-11 that my family didn't know where I was or if I was safe. 
And keep in mind, I will share this, which my marriage was on the rocks. So a lot of, a lot of sacrifices there, a lot of family challenges. But the children were the biggest sacrifice because the youngest child was so gravely impacted by that experience, not knowing if his mother is around or, lay, or, or alive. His father was immediately deployed after 9-11. So it's the domino. It's one trauma oh, after yeah. the other. Yeah. One trauma after the other. And even though my older children could make some sense of what was going on, it's the, the youngest that didn't understand. Right. And that was so gravely impacted. And um, like most traumas, uh, there's physical consequences to that. Uh, right. He stopped talking. He had uh, some delayed behavioral challenges. And it was assumed that uh, he was on the autism spectrum. That, those are some of the terms that were thrown out. Mm-hmm. And back then, it was really difficult to get an individual educational plan for me, for my, for my child. And it might be easier in suburban schools, private schools, but in an urban school, it was very difficult. The resources were limited. Now, let me, let me fill in a gap here. I did yeah. mention marriage was on the rocks. I did mention post 9-11 survivor. We began to tumble as a family, and I relocated into the city of Philadelphia, and my children, my, at least the two youngest ones that were still at home, were enrolled in the Philadelphia public schools. And those schools did have limited resources. And by now, my son is about eight years old. And because kids can be really, really cruel, and sometimes adults as well, yeah. he was you know, targeted, not only by some really mean kids, but some, some educators as well. He was made mm-hmm. to stand in front of the class and used it as an example for oh. other children of what, what <laughs> she didn't want to be. Wow. Yeah. Now, you would say, okay, you as a parent, you're an intelligent, educated woman. Did you know this was going on? Absolutely not. No, yeah. Well, I knew something was wrong because keep in mind, my son's not talking much. Right. He's affectionate. He's cuddled up with me. I don't know how grave the situation is, but I knew something was going on. And I had uh, solicited the school on numerous occasions for an individual educational plan. Uh, Finally was able to have him evaluated. And it was a wonderful therapist that said, you know what? Your son's not on the spectrum. Your son is actually suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. He opened up and began to talk to her. But in between all of that, this, my kid's getting pummeled. Right. It's to the point where I am taking him to and from school. I'm sitting in classrooms. I'm, I'm, I'm like the big mama bear at this particular point. And all, of these, all these things are going on. So I'll, I'll pause at this point in case you have a question. Well, I I think it's interesting, you know, when you say you were sitting in classrooms. No, of course, this behavior didn't happen when you were there watching. Not at all. So, no, not at all. So how did you, is it through the counselor that you found out exactly what was going on when you weren't there? It was the counselor 
that really shed some light on what was going on. Um, at that particular time, I immediately started looking for, now mind it, my kid is coming home bruised, you know, right. uh, he's dismissing it as, oh, I fell because he's, he's afraid. Of course. Because tattling will get you beat, beat up more, you know, right. those kinds of things. The same fears that were happening then. And I want to add, my son is now 24 years old. So the same things that were going on then is, is still going on today. Kids are afraid to tell. And I thought I had an amazingly close relationship with my kids. And because my son and daughter were four years apart in age, they weren't in the same class. They didn't go to playtime or a recess or lunch at the same time. They segregated the younger children from the older children back then, and they still do. She doesn't know this is going on, and she's missed popularity, and we're not sure. And then I get a phone call, and I, and I hope I can get through this part without breaking down. I'm this in my office. Right, I get this a phone call. This is the right call. show to have a cry and a tear if you feel like you need to. So go ahead. <laughs> well, thank you so much. And 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 I'm st I still have a corporate career, and I get a phone call in my office. And when the call is transferred to me, the person on the other end of the phone, the first words out of her mouth was, "Your son is okay." You know, I'm like what's going on? You know, yeah. they identify, you know, my assistant, she says, you know, your son's school is calling, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, whoa. You know, immediately you, you're, you're, you sit straight up, you get on this phone. You yep. think that maybe he's fell. He's, he'd come home with bruises and scrapes. You think, oh, he's had a serious tumble. They're transporting my kid to emergency room. Mm -hmm. He had been beaten so badly that he suffered uh, several lacerations in his face, a broken clavicle, oh you name gosh. it. And we're talking about a baby. Wow. The kid's eight years old. Uh, I immediately left and I broke every speed zone <laughs> imaginable. I'm sure. Did not care. I get to the hospital and when they pull the curtain back, I, I lost it. I absolutely lost it. And... I did get him out of that situation and, and was able to get him into a school that uh, was known for uh, safe spaces and wonderful educational system. And when I, I want to say this, when my son went into the school, I got him in. And I, I will give a shout out to the name of that school because I, to this day, they're doing amazing work. Number one, he had already been identified as a child that was learning challenged mm -hmm. um, by virtue of the fact he wasn't talking. Uh, he would, his clothes would be disheveled because he would just chew on his collar of his shirt until it was shredded. Right. He was a wreck. My kid was an absolute emotional wreck. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. 
And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. This school took him under their bosoms. It's the Cressville School in the Chestnut Hill section of Philadelphia. And they took a chance on him because it's a school that advocates for academic excellence and all of these other things. And they said, there's something here. Well, he excelled in that school. And fast forward, he has excelled in every area of academia, uh, from being an academic scholar, graduating from Jefferson Philadelphia University on academic scholarship, Based on what he has accomplished in his academic career, he speaks a couple uh, other languages fluently, including Japanese, and he's working on this fluency in Mandarin. And yes, this is a child person of color, young young black man, (laughs) doing these extraordinary things. But to go back to the bullying and why that's been so important, now, me, like every other parent, oh, I've gotten my kid out of a really bad situation. I'm not thinking about the ones I left behind. I'm not thinking about the shattered lives. I'm thinking my kid is safe. He's now doing well in school. He's excelling. He's talking. He's, he's, public, he's doing public speeches and things that I never oh imagined he do. And not only is he not learning challenge, but he is because he's actually uh, an exceptional gifted child, okay, which is also a learning challenge as well because yes. it's above the, the norm. So now he is in a situation where he's graduating from university. And I stand in my kitchen, which is the the nucleus of the family home, (laughs) and I asked him what he wanted for graduation. And he's 20 years old by now. And he said, you know, Mom, if I could have anything I want for graduation, will you grant it? And I'm thinking, the kid's going to want a car. (laughs) He didn't have his own car. I said, okay, I'm prepared for that. We're not saddled with, you know, college uh, debt. So, sure, I'll buy a car. And he said, I want to share you. And I'm like, wait a minute, what's he mean by that? And so I asked him to explain, and he goes on to tell me how when he was eight years old, he'd lay in bed and try to figure out a way to commit suicide. Oh, my gosh. And I thought I was close to my son, and I thought he told me everything. And he admitted that he was still... um, affected by the trauma of being bullied. And he told me how I'd saved his life just by being an advocate. And if he could have, if he had a hologram or a clone of me by the millions, he'd spread me across the world. And I lost it. Chris and I, I absolutely lost it. I'm sure you did. (laughs) I at that moment, I said, wow, I, I didn't do anything but help my one kid. And I knew I had to stop everything I knew right then and there. I needed to halt the presses and grant him that. And I didn't care what it cost to do that. And yeah. I thought about 
the resources I'd need to access to make that wish come true. And that began the birth of Fifty Shades of Purple Against Bullying. So explain what the Fifty Shades of Purple part is. So the Fifty Shades of Purple, and, you know, he and I had uh, several other conversations. And I said, what if I established a foundation that completely focused on bullying prevention and advocacy work and take it beyond that? We actually implement programs that can be used not only in schools, communities, in the homes, everywhere, not just regionally, but globally. What if? He said, that would be genius because it doesn't exist today. So I said, what would you call this? He says, well, you know, mom, the color for domestic violence and the color for LGBT alliance is purple. He said, when I think of the spectrum of people who are impacted, it makes me think of shades. That it's not a black thing, it's not a white thing, and it's everything in between. Right. It's all shades, race, color, orientation, all those things. I think of the various shades. And I said, well, what about 50 shades of purple against bullying? He said, that's it. (laughs) I'm I'm like, I'm listening to this kid. I'm thinking about the shades. I'm thinking about the color purple and, you know, and what that represents. And I don't know why 50 just just seemed like, but it's interesting because initially when when we said 50 shades and there was this book, 50 shades of gray, et cetera. I, you know, and I have a background in marketing and business development. I said, well, you know what? I bet you'll never forget the name. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) That's absolutely right. Well, you found it. And it it simply stuck. Yes, it simply stuck and it felt right. And every place we go from the International Bullying Convention conferences around the globe to speaking and advocating for families and schools, you don't forget the name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a name you don't forget. And you founded this in 2015. So has it surprised yes. you how much of an impact you've been able to make in, in really, you know, a short amount of time? Well, because I, I, I approached it uh, from the perspective of a grieving parent, a broken family. And that's exactly. So when you when you look at what the government and and and. I won't put them on blast, even though I could possibly do that. So when I look at the gaps in the same problems I had when I was looking for help, now keep in mind, I did a heck of a lot of research at the time my son was being bullied, and the numbers continue to grow. Right. There's no surprise that it is now declared as a public health crisis. Yeah by the Center for Disease Control and the United States Department of Education. We all recognize this as a crisis, but it's the one crisis where resources are not employed there. So what we did as an organization, let's say we're, we will challenge and fill in the gaps. Because what happens is when a parent is in that place and they don't know where to go, the first thing I did is I said, look at what happened with me 
almost 20 years ago, and I went to the schools, and I said to the schools, my son is being bullied, we know who it is. Their answer is, let's put the parents and the kids in the room together, and let's ask them to all play nicely. Bullying's not, they still do that today. So now you've made my son a bigger target. Yes. And you've got the parents on opposite sides of, of this conversation, one defending the bully, one defending the victim. We want to protect our children. Nobody wants to admit their kid is doing something wrong, right? You mm-hmm. know, so most people don't. So you, you've got a broken reporting system. So we looked at that. The reporting system is broken. So what can we do to help the schools advocate for a better reporting system? Why can't we be the reporting system? So as you know, there's a 911 if you're in crisis, and, but the 911 crisis is, oh, I'm about to commit suicide so I can call crisis. Well, I feel like I know someone that has said they're going to commit suicide. So you have the 911 crisis, and it's, it's national. But what if there was a 411 information only? What if the information is accessible and you don't have to go to the World Wide Web and just search all over the place in various different places to try to find answers to help and advocate awareness and education and training? So we became that. That was the very first thing we knew we needed to do. We need to be the one-stop shop for resources for anyone that's looking for answers. How to report 911. Also, how to get information, because not everything is at that crisis. We're trying to prevent the crisis. Right, right, exactly. So that ended up, and being very, very clear as to where we are as a platform for resources and making sure it's the first thing you see when you go into our website. The other thing is making sure that everyone knows it. Everyone knows, possibly. So our ask is not money. The ask is actually not money. The ask is for you to spread the word, join the movement, join the campaign against bullying. So what do you have to do to join our campaign against bullying? Right. And it kind of surprises people say, guess what? You can't throw enough money at this problem. (laughs) Yeah, it's very true. You really can't. We get calls from some of the wealthiest people you can imagine. If they can't fix this with their resources and their money, so what you have to do is really show up, right? And right. I don't mean sitting in the classroom. It's spreading the word. I don't care if it's at your cocktail party or if it's at the kitchen table. You make safe spaces the coolest thing on the planet. Not hurting kids, not berating kids, not berating adults, not hurting adults in the workplace, not empowering, not imposing, but make it the coolest thing you could possibly be sharing in the world, human kindness. Yeah, And that's what the movement is about. So your voice is free. Use it. Yeah, And that's yes. what we're asking people to do. Well, speaking of that, your voice is free. Use it. Obviously, that's what I do <laughs> with this podcast and creating this network. So you also have had your feet in broadcasting. So how did that start and how do you use that medium to continue this activism with, you know, your voice is free? So I have been um, the producer of Lesby Real Media, Lesby Real Radio Talk for five years now. And 
it also started with advocacy. There was a concern about those silent voices, those individuals, people of color, people aging, that had the weaker voices, the most disadvantaged individuals here in some of the most compromised sections of the city. And a radio host had a guest speaker that was supposed to come on and talk about that. So she, her guest canceled at the last minute. She knew me. She said, can you come on and be on the show? And so I did. I, I threw some clothes on and ran over to the station. I was on the show. And the phone, the boards lit up. The phone boards, oh, who is that? Well, wow, this, somebody needed, this is what need, needed to be said. Right. And from there, I said, wait a minute, I could use, I can actually use my voice to raise the roof, right. to give voice to those who have been silent. And it started off as a hobby at my kitchen table. And I learned how to, to do the internet broadcasting by doing the research and, and everything else morphed off from there to uh, we average about 5 million points, impressions on an annual basis uh, with our programming around diversity and inclusion, you know, with a very simple mission of having conversations that are very, very difficult to have yeah. any place else, you know, addressing the, the elephant in the room and bridging <laughs> the gap in those conversations. And that's what's happening right now today with the current uh, movement. And we're talking about in just five years when you think about Stoneman Douglas and the youth that are marching to Washington Absolutely. and now the advocacy around raising the roof around voter registration that will happen during the midterm. The same exact thing, using that voice. And it, it has been very, very successful at um, giving that platform to individuals. And across the spectrum, because commercial radio wasn't interested. Right. Thank you, Internet. I know. <laughs> I say that all the time, all the time. Thank you, Internet, for, you know, having podcasting is now when I started doing it uh, five years ago, maybe even longer. I, I'm bad with with uh, remembering what years I start things. But when I started doing it quite some time ago, I it, you know, podcasts were not popular. It was like, what, whatever, what is that? What is, what is that about? Now all of a sudden it's the hot new thing. <laughs> so. It is the hottest thing. And in fact, uh, day before yesterday, Melanie Nathan uh, is in Philadelphia for a conference and, and she's a well-known attorney out in uh, San Francisco and specializing in asylums and refugees coming from South Africa. And uh, uh, I met up with her at the conference and we decided that, listen, let's make this podcast happen and interviewed her. And I learned so much. I absolutely just how difficult it is to even uh, bring people into the United States. And Philadelphia is a sanctuary city. Uh, so her interest with Philadelphia has been heightened because of that. And so she's here lobbying to identify families, resources, churches that will take on some of these refugees and, uh, and asylums coming into the United States. Mm -hmm. And these are people who are fleeing some of the most horrific conditions you can imagine. 
Right. So that's what the platform does, give voice to and raise infor- raise awareness about. Fantastic. What what's on the you know the trajectory for you with it with all of the things that you're doing? Well, what's on the trajectory is to keep doing this until I can't do it anymore. <laughs> I usually I'm I'm quoted as saying I'm going to ride my life until the wheels fall off. That's what I say too. <laughs> yep. Oh, if I had my hand strapped behind my back and I had didn't have the use of my legs, as long as I have the use of my voice and my brain, well, it will just keep on going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I don't believe that my universe has granted me this gift. And well, obviously the gift of Gab, Christian, I do apologize for monopolizing conversation because no. I'm never at a shortage of words. <laughs> you know, and, and when I... When I think about the fact that I used to get punished when I was in elementary school for talking too much, and now it's become a, a means of, of, of how I make a living. That's right. Same here. I mean, I didn't so anyone get who's for, listening to that. <laughs> I didn't yes. get in trouble for talking too much. I was, I was in way too much trauma. I just kept very, very, very quiet. I, I resonated with when we've talked before doing this show with what you said about your son. I um. I really was quite, uh, it just was too much to open my mouth for a long time until I got into my early, my early teens. And then, uh, and then I just, once that, you know, once you let the cat out of the bag, it's hard to stop at that point. So. I know. And it's a beautiful thing. But, you know, as far as, as where I'm going from here, I'm continuing to grow. And I approach every single person I meet with the understanding that they know that they know something I don't. That's wonderful. Everyone I meet, you know something I don't, and I'm here to to learn. I'll be that sponge, uh, mutual respect, and that's how I approach life. So I'm going to continue on that path, advocating against violence, advocating against bullying and abuse, and more importantly, supporting the the overarching the overarching uh, belief that human kindness will win. Very true. And I think I'd like to close with this because I think it's really important. It's it's one it's a wonderful thing to volunteer your time to help organizations like yours. It's it's a wonderful thing to help be a part of that. And it's also a different kind of challenge to be the person that puts these things together, makes them happen, and is able to get uh, sponsors, is able to helm a ship like this. So I really admire, you know, a fellow female that, you know, you can pull it all together and do your own thing. You didn't ride on anyone's coattails. You just created your own. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I definitely, if anyone is interested in volunteering, I I will definitely share our website. You can volunteer. You can uh, share resources. If you know of other resources out there that we should incorporate on our platform, we'll definitely look into that. If you're interested in employment opportunities, uh, we're now moving into another fiscal here where we're looking at expanding and bringing on a couple more program managers. Mm. Also, if you want to write a check, we will not turn it away. 
<laughs> Please tell our listeners where they can go to find out about this information. You can go right on the internet to Ephes and Frank, Ephes and Sally, Pierce and Paul, againstbullying.org. That's www.fspagainstbullying.org. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Jazz. And what a cool name. Thank you so much for sharing some words of wisdom with me off the air and also on the air. And I look forward to supporting the continued work that you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank you, of course, as always, to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Mental Health News Radio. Without good intentions, I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Boy. All right, that was fantastic. Oh, I enjoyed it.